0: thank you for listening to the faith-free lutheran church sermon archive today's sermon for trinity sunday may 30th 2021 is preached by pastor jason goodham if you have questions or comments regarding today's message please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org good morning again special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning Grace to you in peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the Old Testament lesson appointed for Trinity Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. can be found on page 1068 of your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today, as you know by now, is Trinity Sunday, and it is one of my favorite Sundays of the entire church year. Not only do I have a built in excuse to post the St. Patrick's Bad Analogies YouTube video on my social media accounts, and not only do we get to confess the Athanasian Creed as a congregation, which I suspect I enjoy more than most. But we also get to do a deep dive on the doctrine of the Trinity, and today we get to do so from one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. I have preached on Isaiah 6 before, but always in the context of our response to being in the presence of God. After all, it's an obvious angle to pursue, especially when we have for decades in American Christianity been obsessed with ushering ourselves into God's presence by our own activities and emotions rather than by His divinely appointed means of grace. But today, we're going to look at this passage from a different angle. And in doing so, we're going to use the structure of the Apostles' Creed To highlight a core, if not the core, of the truth of the doctrine of the Holy Trinity God is holy, and He is for you. With that in mind, let's turn our attention back to Isaiah 6 and see how He draws out the holy and gracious presence of each person of the Trinity in this section of His prophecy. And so, first, God the Father is holy and he is for you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. The majesty of God is really really hard to miss in this section of scripture. It permeates nearly every verse. And so it is with God in his creation. His majesty is with us. His majesty is Everywhere, and in fact, the very nature of His creation declares to us the creature of His majesty. It's written about in Psalm. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. I can't count how many times I've said to you, but the most awe-inspiring sight I have ever seen is to march out into the middle of a field in January on a clear night in North Dakota and to look at all the stars in the sky. There is no better sight in all of creation than to contemplate the majesty of God by staring at the heavens. Now, for others, you might have noticed the majesty of God if you've been to the Grand Canyon or if you've been through the mountains, or uh, if you see the wheat fields unto harvest in North Dakota, in autumn, or in northern Minnesota. Wherever it is that you've been, if you've marveled at creation, what God has designed that moment for you to do is for you to marvel at His majesty, at His handiwork. At what he is capable of doing. Oh yeah, and by the way, all of that marveling, he did that in six days. Just because he could. Right? But hand in hand with God's majesty is God's holiness. And this is where we might be tempted to worry. Because God's holiness directly impacts each and every one of us. God reiterates multiple times in Scripture that we are to be holy as He is holy and because He is holy. This is one of the main purposes that God had in giving us His law. The law tells us how to be holy in the ways that God is holy. And here's the problem. For each one of us that doesn't keep the law, and that happens to be each one of us, By God's own declaration, we are not holy. So how can God's holiness be good news for us? How can we see God's gracious and merciful presence in our life when we're terrified by His holiness and His majesty? Well, it all comes down to the very fact that the nature of God is not intimidation, the nature of God is not wrath, the nature of God is grace and mercy. And we begin to see this, it's not completed, we begin to see this in our confession every week of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. Everything we confess in the creed is good news. Which means creation. And the majesty of creation is good news for us. He is gracious to His children by providing for their needs on a day-to-day basis. Every good thing you have right now, every single good thing, comes from the hand of a gracious and merciful creator who gives it to you. You don't earn it. You don't go out and find it. You aren't the fulfillment of that not-so-biblical prophecy. God helps those who help themselves. Every single good thing, including your next breath, is a gift from God. And in that, Even his divinely ordained law, which condemns you in your sin, is a gracious thing that he has given to you. Because it's God's law that in identifying your sin drives you to repentance, which leads us to the second person of the Trinity. God's Son is holy, and he is for you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now you might be tempted at this point to ask me where we see Jesus in Isaiah's vision in chapter 6, and I wouldn't blame you for such a question, but there are two additional clues behind the threefold proclamation of God's holiness that point us to Jesus' presence. First, in Isaiah's vision, he sees the physical presence of God. The very fact that Isaiah literally saw the Lord should leave us with some questions. Jesus himself teaches us that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now while we can grant Isaiah some artistic license in describing this heavenly vision, we also have to acknowledge that Jesus is in fact the image of the invisible God. It is entirely theologically consistent here to believe and confess that the person Isaiah saw seated on the throne was actually the pre-incarnate Christ. But beyond this, And more importantly for us, we know that Christ is present here in Isaiah's vision because of God's redeeming love that is demonstrated and poured out on Isaiah. Isaiah says, Woe to me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When one of, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Consider what has happened here. Isaiah, upon being in the presence of Almighty God, his response isn't to cheer. His response isn't to raise his hands in praise. His response is to be absolutely terrified. Because he's a sinner. And the sin that Isaiah confesses is the least significant sin you can possibly conceive of, at least when we think about our present-day culture. Isaiah doesn't talk about his awful character He doesn't talk about that one time in school he pushed his friend off the chair and dumped his lunch over him. He doesn't talk about any of the awful things he's done. What Isaiah talks about is that I am a man of unclean lips. Think about that. Every wayward and wasted word you've ever let escape your lips This is what comes to Isaiah's mind as he stands before God. The very least and most insignificant of what we consider to be a sin is the thing that Isaiah is worried about because God is holy. And perhaps there is no better way for us to identify our unholiness than to consider what we talk about and how we talk about it. And so what happens is Isaiah confesses his sin. And God sends a messenger to forgive his sins. God sends someone to deliver God's message of grace and mercy. That's exactly what's happening to you today. The messenger ultimately that God sends to you To proclaim God's forgiveness is Jesus Christ, who comes and forgives you and cleanses you from all your sins because he died on the cross in your place. But ever since that moment 2,000 years ago, the messenger that God sends to you is your pastor to deliver to you the completed work of Christ on the cross, And this is exactly here in Isaiah where we see Jesus' role in the divine Trinity. When the guilt of Isaiah's sins is taken away, and when the sins themselves are atoned for, it is the blood of Christ that is doing the work. An angel may have flown from the presence of God and delivered a blazing hot coal to Isaiah's lips but it is the blood of Christ doing the work. A pastor may have just proclaimed over each and every one of you the absolution, but it is the blood of Christ doing the work. And when you come up in just a few moments and kneel at the altar and hear that your sins are forgiven, it is still the blood of Christ that is doing the work. The work, the completed work, the work in total from beginning to end of forgiveness for your sins. And then the wonderful proclamation from God in His Word. You now are holy because Christ is holy for you. And in your place. Finally, then, God the Spirit is holy, and He is for you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. In the same way that we have trouble identifying Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, and in the same way we might have trouble seeing God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, because He is Spirit so we might have trouble locating the Holy Spirit in Isaiah's vision. Where we especially see the presence of the Holy Spirit here is in the delivery of the Word of God. God speaks and the thresholds shake at His voice. God speaks and delivers to us a question, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? The primary work of the Holy Spirit, as we learned last week at Pentecost from John 16, is to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And the primary way he does this is by working through the Word of God. But it is in the work of the Holy Spirit where we really see that God's, God in his holiness is for us. Because it is God's delight to save us. And He saves us by granting us the gift of faith through the preaching of the gospel in His Word. And all of this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Is the Spirit present here this morning? Depending on which Christian you ask, they might say, Yes, because I was emotionally impacted. Or they might confess, I didn't really feel the Spirit moving this morning at church. But that's the wrong way to look at it. Because each and every time you hear the Word of God proclaimed, the Spirit is moving. And the Spirit is working. No matter what your emotions, no matter what your response, the Spirit is there doing His job on you. And in doing so, He is for you. He is working for your benefit. The great and glorious truth about God's identity and about His activity is that God is holy and He is for you. And it is in this great and glorious reality that we find the call of Isaiah connected to our individual lives. Not everyone here is called to be a prophet. Not everyone here is going to be sent to the nations with God's message. But each and every one of us is called to be God's representative as we love our neighbors. And in loving our neighbors, we are called to speak the truth about sin and the truth about the gospel to anyone who asks us for the hope that we have. And so when God asks Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Isaiah answers for all of us. Here am I. Send me. If I today were to redesign part of the liturgy for our worship service, and I would never do so just out of sheer terror, but if I were, we would close the service together upon hearing God's word by saying, here am I, send me. Because as you leave those doors this morning, you are being sent as God's ambassador to your neighbors. And every single neighbor you love is an opportunity for God to work through you for His glory. God sends you. He sends you into the world. He sends you to your neighbors. And He sends you with the gospel. This is tremendous news because the God of the universe and the God who died for your sins and the God who each and every week speaks His word to you is a God who is for you. And so you go with Him into a world that is desperate to hear that same message you've received today. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.